0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 252. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. We are here this week to review and discuss The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride.
1: Wrapping up our Disney straight-to-video series.
0: I've enjoyed this. This was not, admittedly, the disaster that I thought it would be. Because sometimes when we sit and we talk about straight-to-video sequels, when we talk about DCOMs and some of their sequels, there have been some sloppy messes in there. And without giving too much away before we get into this film, I have so far been very pleasantly surprised with the product that has been put in front of us.
1: Me too. I think I went in expecting... What the February 2.0 and came out pleasantly surprised with a few gems that we
0: found. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think that that's because Disney more recently has gotten so obsessed with franchises and so obsessed with hit it when it's hot, hit it when it's hot, that we've gotten accustomed to a more, I don't want to call it cheap, but I'll call it perhaps a more watered down experience
1: a lesser effort
0: when it comes to some of these sequels right um
1: yes i would agree with that but i think earlier on in this series that we did we also saw where there wasn't a lot of effort put forth in the sequel that's
0: only i think that's only in one movie
1: yeah i mean maybe it's not fair to hold everything to the beauty and the beast standard because We all saw what it was. It was a failed TV show that they repackaged.
0: It's amazing that you can mutually hold things to the Beauty and the Beast standard and then want nothing to do with the Beauty and the Beast standard because you either (laughs) want everything to be like the original or nothing to be like like its sequel. Right. Pretty wild. Well, the question for today, given the legacy that is the Lion King and how beloved it is, which formula did it follow when it comes to the Lion King standard? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts, Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxCo.com to check out all of the collections.
0: We see the presentation of Kiara, Simba and Nala's daughter, at Pride Rock as mufasa's spirit watches on kiara much like simba is rebellious and similarly explores lands that she is told to avoid such as the mysterious outlands simba tells timon and pumba to keep an eye on kiara and keep her safe however after bickering over grubs kiara wanders off into the outlands where she meets kovu a young club uh, a young cub who mostly fends for himself The two quickly bond, however, are interrupted as Simba and Zira, Kovu's mother, arrive, where we learn that Kovu was handpicked by Scar to be the future king. Each side returns to their land, where Simba tells Kiara about the circle of life. At the Outlands, we learn that Nuka, Kovu's bitter older brother... Um, left him out there to fend for himself. Zira sees that Kovu wants to uh, befriend Kiara and plans to exploit it to get to Simba. Rafiki, speaking to the spirit of Mufasa, sees the plan to bond Kiara and Kovu and bring unity to the Pride Lands. As the uh, cubs grow up, Zira corrupts Kovu and has him convinced to kill Simba and avenge Scar. Kiara heads out for her first hunt, and Simba again instructs Timon and Pumbaa to shadow her. When she discovers them, she leaves the Pride Lands to hunt near the Outlands where Nuka and Vitani this is Kovu's sister, start a wildfire trapping the princess. She passes out and is rescued by Kovu, however, Zazu sees this and believes that it is an abduction and races off to tell Simba. Simba arrives and learns that Kovu has saved Kiara and by Mufasa's law is now in his debt and allows him to join the pride, very reluctantly I may add. The next day, Kovu takes Kiara out to teach her how to effectively hunt and provide for the pride while Kiara teaches him how to have fun. As Kiara and Kovu fall for each other, Simba struggles with what to do. Rafiki shows the pair uh, the way to Appendi, and when Vitani sees that Kovu won't kill Simba, she tells Zira who takes matters into her own paws. Ha. Ha. Well done. Simba, the next day, tells Kovu the story of Scar as Zira arrives with the rest and attacks Simba. However, Kovu refuses to kill him. Nuka instead tries to kill Simba, but is crushed by falling timber and dies, leading Zira, cutting Kovu above the eye and casting him out. Now he very much looks like Scar. An injured Simba arrives back at the Pride Lands, but can only say the words Kovu ambush before passing out, leading all to believe that this is in fact a setup. When Kovu asks Simba for forgiveness but is exiled instead, Kiara leaves to go find him. The pair reunite in love and plan to return to Pride Rock, for the sake of unity amongst the Prides. I'm getting to the end of it, okay? Good lord, dog. Uh, (laughs) The Outsiders arrive to unleash war on the Pride Lands as the Prides fight. Kiara and Kovu arrive to then end the conflict. The Outsiders turn on Zira, who falls from a cliff after a brief fight with Kiara and is washed down a river. Simba apologizes to Kovu as the Prides become united as one.
1: So before we get into this, uh, Walt's ball just rolled to where he can't reach it. So either we're going to be dealing with squeaking during our recording or he's going to start crying because he can't get it. What would you like to do here? What's the lesser of two evils?
0: Let's see how long he can last with all of these other toys that he has in this room. (laughs) And then we can take it from there. I'm sure if I need to crawl under a table, you can handle talking about Simba's pride.
1: I think so. Well, actually, that is right where I wanted to start off the rip. Um, I'm loving this title. I love the double yeah. meaning yeah. of the word pride because it's not just his pride of lions. It's his child. Um, so I, I just love that choice because they didn't have to do it, but they did. Lion King One and a half, that was the title. When right. you're done. right. So I like that they didn't just leave this at Lion King 2. Um, I do want to start off a little bit unconventionally here. Okay. Um, because we are going to break down this banger soundtrack later on. But yeah. to me, the most significant difference here is that instead of starting with Circle of Life, they swapped it for He Lives in You. Um And I don't want to just gloss over that right now because the animation is so beautiful. Not quite as stunning as the original, even though you can sort of see where they recycled some of it. But this was sort of jarring to me. And interestingly enough, this is sort of what they did with Aladdin, right? They start Return of Jafar with Arabian Nights. So it gives you that sense of familiarity and then they don't use it to open the third film. They have Arabian Nights close out the Aladdin series. And here, we don't get Circle of Life at all. Right. So, I was kind of like, wow, you know, that's just so on point now that we have Simba's child and maybe maybe it felt too on the nose, and that's why they didn't use it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
0: I think the thing is It's a strong start. I'm not going to break down the song yet because we're going to do that later. But I think, all in all, it's a strong start. The thing is, with The Lion King, the setup is the exact same as the original film. We crucified, for the most part, Little Mermaid 2 for doing that. However, it's more passable in Lion King because the whole story of Lion King is that of the circle of life. So right. this is the natural progression in the circle of life. So it is going to be the same story kind of told over and over again with new characters with new personalities. I think it's passable. Um but my thing is I'm I'm sort of okay with them not starting with the song circle of life because then I feel like it would have just been the exact same movie. There there needs to be a little bit of deviation. And I think Simba, we know Simba's and it, this does get fleshed out over the course of the film. We know that Simba still I think struggles with feeling like he's living in Mufasa's shadow. So mm. I think you really and because that is a that's that's a thread through the entire film, I think that you did need to start it this way. I think by starting it with Circle of Life, it's lather, rinse, repeat to the point where that would have felt very cheap.
1: Right. I'm wondering if that also is sort of a subtle nod to One and a Half because, you know, we praise that film on how they handled everything taking place within that same timeline. And Circle of Life works in one and a half because we talked about how Timon and Pumbaa are doing that roof tracks, mystery science theater commentary right. on it. Um, so it's a great reset for that film, much like Return of Jafar, just to put us back in that world. Here, I think the other issue is because at the end of The Lion King, the, fir- the original, we do see the presentation of Simba's child, who we are going to eventually learn as Kiara. And Circle of Life is playing in that moment. And of course, you know, that's the theme of the movie. It brings everything full circle. So because we've had that scene already, um, as jarring as the song changes, again, I agree with you where it would have just been too repetitive. But being that we see this presentation at the end of the original you could have actually started with Timon and Pumbaa doing their commentary here Um, and and just punch up the comedy from the rip because I love that they're having this conversation and they're sitting here assuming that they've got like another bro to hang out with um, because that's their whole thing, right? You know, and can you feel the love tonight? They're getting upset that they're going to lose Simba to Nala and their trio's down to two, so now here they are. Oh, great, we've got another buddy we can hang out with. And then they are, like, soul-crushed when they find out it's a girl.
0: Yeah, it was a funny way to punch into the title card. Um, And then from there, what they did really well, I think, was they made Kiara very much a product of both Simba and Nala. They they mm-hmm. did a very good job in the two films that we've seen, A Child. They have drawn influences from both parents, whether personality-wise or stylistically. They've done that very well because you get the rebelliousness that you get from Simba not wanting to listen. The minute that she meets Kovu and goes, my name's Kiara. I went, you're Nala's daughter. You are 100% Nala's <laughs> daughter. Pinju you again.
1: Yes. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that at all. To me, um, what I really appreciate they did here uh, was this instance of great writing where she says, I'm not just a princess, you know, that's only half of who I am. Right. And I was like, Wow. It, it's so brilliant because as an audience, we are coming in loyal to Simba, who couldn't wait to be king, who couldn't wait to take over the throne. So now you have the total opposite. She's not sure if she wants it. And this really helped prevent her from becoming dislikable because we know she's going to defy Simba, but they towed that line really nicely. What I bump on though, What is this Outlands nonsense? What about the Elephant Graveyard? That was always the forbidden territory.
0: Well, that was the forbidden territory until Scar was completely cast out, as were his followers. Remember, the Outlands are a new thing, because at the end of The Lion King, Scar's newly dead. So we, you know, the hyenas get him. The hyenas, as far as we know, we're back at the elephant graveyard, right? Right. We don't know what happened to his followers. That's, of course, because we never saw these followers.
1: Well, okay, you want to do this now? Um, I mean, we
0: may as well.
1: I mean, I guess that's it. If, if you were going with elephant graveyard here, it would be misleading because... The implication was always that Elephant Graveyard was overrun with hyenas. Right. But those were Scar's followers. So where did this entire other pride come from?
0: It's they're miss they're 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 all missing. You know, like Zira. The fact that Scar had handpicked a predecessor, that by the way, is not his son, though looks just like him, but Michael Eisner put the kibosh on that because he didn't want the cousins marrying. Um, the fact that he had such a loyal following and had time to handpick a predecessor, like, I-, I can buy it. For the sake of a sequel, it's fine. And we'll get into that and the characters a little bit more in a few moments here. But it, it just seems like an awfully big plot point that sort of just materialized.
1: Yeah, like I almost wished that the hyenas were orchestrating this whole thing. Yes. And maybe they found another pride of lions and this was their revenge story. And, or I would have been perfectly fine if this was where we had the random sibling that nobody knew about, like they did in little mermaid 2. And zero was Mufasa and scars sister, which actually does track because I understand that Michael Eisner didn't want to be promoting the idea of these cousins getting together. But that's kind of what prides do. There is one male who is responsible for reproducing with all of the females. So that's where this entire other pride makes absolutely zero sense. And no matter what happens, there's going to be some sort of incest. Let's just call it what it is.
0: Yeah, but you don't need that in a Disney film no, targeted at children. It doesn't
1: need to be spelled out quite like that, but I, I don't know. I, I just, it doesn't make sense to who Scar was that there was this whole other pride that didn't have his back the first
0: time. Correct. The whole thing was he didn't have a pride, so he had the hyenas. Now, if the hyenas, right, right, if the hyenas were behind all of this and they had sort of built up the legend of Scar almost as a cult-like figure to this other pride of outcasts, that to me would have made more sense. Of course, how does Kovu fit in as being the natural selection? I don't know. I don't care. I didn't write it. But there was a way that you could have worked around it. You know, it's imperfect. I'm willing to sort of overlook it. But as I pointed out just now, this seems like sort of a big deal. To not have it somehow interwoven into the already existing story.
1: I think part of that choice also comes from... Because, you know, the first time we watched it, I was just sort of taking everything in. I kind of felt like I had seen it before. But then when I watched it through the second time and I was paying a lot more close attention, I was like, my gosh, there are so many new characters. Why did they do this aside from it not making sense to Scar? And it finally dawned on me that... Because the Lion King is so heavily based in Hamlet, I was like, oh, this is Romeo and Juliet. And you have to have the two families opposed to each other. And I think that that's what they were so zeroed in on. They didn't really care how it happened as long as you still had the idea of the families that are, are at war. Um, be that as it may... Um, when you two event when you do eventually get these two families together, when Kiara and Kova meet, I love that they don't have a lot of exposition dialogue here, and it goes right into the action where they have to escape these gators. Yeah. Um, and same with Zira and Simba showing up to step in. There's just not a lot of talk; it's all action, and I really appreciate that.
0: I like it too because through action, it tells us everything that we need to know, other than. Why do Simba and Zira know each other? Again, there seems to be a pre-existing relationship that we've never seen before. It's a straight-to-video sequel. We do have to... We cannot just hammer everything that they do when they do things like this. But, again... You you, you cannot introduce a pre-existing relationship without us having seen it in the predecessor.
1: And I do wish that we knew what that relationship was and they had just given us a little bit more backstory because I love this idea that Simba, who has always looked up to his father and now, you know, the first movie is all about having to learn to live without him, but he still looks to the skies for guidance. He still calls out his father. So I love that now not only is he not going to be able to get the answers, he has to deal with a fallout of something that Mufasa did. So I absolutely love that they are exploring that, but we just need to know why Zero was cast out. Um, super strong introduction for her. We are going to break down the characters later, but I just love this moment where she calls Simba's bluff about taking the pound of flesh out of Kovu. Yeah. For crossing over into the Pride Lands.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to put a pin in that. Because I do have a response. But it kind of ties into Zira. And her motivation. In a few moments. Let's continue to talk about Simba though. How do you feel about seeing Simba. Simba. In the Mufasa role. Where he's. Trying to balance. Being a leader. And dealing with adversaries, and raising this rebellious child?
1: I mean, we didn't get to see a lot of that with Mufasa. We saw him being a great dad, and then he's taken out within the first act. Mufasa really was, I hate to say it, even though he was this godlike figure, he was a plot point. Because the whole thing is is Simba's arc dealing with the fallout from Mufasa's death. So we never really got to see Mufasa as a leader. We knew that he was looked up to, but that's why, you know, I said it before, I love that they're unpacking this now. We are examining who Mufasa was as a person, as a leader, not just the father that Simba Idol worshipped. So... um. I like that, I mean, this is the Simba we know. It's very similar to the original in that how he was trying to figure out how to navigate life without his father. He's still doing that, and he still has to deal with it now.
0: I like seeing Simba in this role. I I like seeing it because he's getting a taste of his own medicine, which... Any, any of you that have children are now dealing with what you put your parents through, and now you see the other side of light, uh, life. But the thing is, Simba's very much working this out on his own because he didn't have that father figure as an adolescent. He had Timon and Pumbaa, and we've now seen what life with Timon and Pumbaa was like when we watched last week's uh, film— it was basically like being in a frat house. It was a lot of fun. Right. So now he's got to figure it out on his own, and, and I love seeing the the shoe on the other foot, so to speak. Um, to finally answer your question about Zira, Zira exploiting her son at every which way possible, whether it's challenging Simba to take the pound of flesh out because she knows that he's not going to do it, but she's willing to see if it'll happen and then taking this nice young adolescent personality that wants a friend that wants to play that is a cast out within the cast outs which do, you know he does deal with having a jealous older sibling he he's just a good-hearted soul to see her diabolically corrupt him yeah for her own gain You needed to follow up Scar with a banger of a villain, and they did. They did,
1: yeah. The only thing, again, though, I just wish we had more details because it is well-established that Kovu isn't isn't Scar's son. They say it three times just to make sure that we know they're not cousins. Right. But who is the rest of this pride? Are any of them related to Scar like is Noku Scar's son like did did Zira maybe have a relationship with Scar and then Kovu had a different father like it that's all plausible but like Nuka's jealousy is gonna come through regardless because he is the oldest male and yet Kovu was the chosen one but wouldn't that be a really nice added layer that Scar is his father and Scar chose someone else who was not his son to be the successor.
0: It would add to the bitterness.
1: Yeah, and it's all just confusing because both still look like Scar.
0: Yeah, almost everybody in this Pride somehow looks like a descendant of Scar.
1: I I mean, I get why they did that. You gave them more... Angular eyes as opposed to everybody in Simba's Pride that has more of like the wide rounded eye. I mean, I appreciate that they did that with the visual cue. But as far as the bloodlines go, it makes it very confusing.
0: But we fast forward a little bit. The next thing that we see, both Kovu and Kiara are no longer small cubs. They are now, I guess you'd call them the teenage years, right? They're they're now in their adolescence.
1: I feel like we did need a little bit more to show the passage of time, because all we get is this little beat with Rafiki, as fun as it is and as much as I appreciate it, because he's arguing with Mufasa, who is communicating through the wind. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that the next thing that we see is a matured lion.
0: It's a jarring at first, because the first time you see it, you don't really know who it is that you're looking at. If I'm being honest with you, the only reason why I knew who it was is because I recognized Jason Marsden, and I knew that he played the "quote unquote" adult Kovu. Otherwise, I would have had no idea who that character was. Yeah, because you don't even see like the sun rise and set. No, there's nothing. There's it's just nothing. all of a sudden, the next shot after Rafiki. To your point, boom, mature lion.
1: So speaking of mature lion, you know. You dropped the news on me how Robin Hood and Maid Marian are completely sexualized Disney characters. Apparently, which big
0: controversy. Apparently. I it, had, this has been going on for years.
1: I had no idea. I believe that Kovu is Gen Z's version of that. Oh, stop! <laughs> you did this to me. No, no there's like a I... whole thing. Is this this is with real... Kovu? Oh yeah.
0: We need to get off of social media. (laughs) Good Lord. I thought it was ridiculous with Robin Hood, but I can can kind of justify it. Oh, he's a fox. She's a fox.
1: No, this is like a whole generation of children who matured (laughs) because of COVID. Because of...
0: Okay. Oh, boy. All right. um, Thanks for that. Um, I'll have that in my head for the rest of the day.
1: You got the rest of this. I've made my contribution for this week.
0: Yeah, apparently. Um... All right, so we see now Kovu completely corrupted, almost robotic, um, in a way, like a hired assassin. It's the animation's great, the voice acting is great in that moment. Like he just has like dead eyes, and Marsden does a really good job at sort of communicating that through a microphone. Um, and then you have Kiara going out on the hunt. You know, she's learning now to be a provider. But at the end of the day, Simba still doesn't trust that she can do it. So it's Timon, Pumbaa, go. Just don't get caught.
1: What do we think about Timon and Pumbaa always being his eyes and ears as opposed to Zazu?
0: He didn't have the relationship with Zazu. He didn't even like Zazu. Fair. So I think that he needs he needs somebody. Those are his boys. And th- yeah. those are the ones. I- I'm 100% good with it. I'm 100% good with it.
1: I agree, even though I still don't like that Zazu keeps taking a lesser role the further we get with these movies. But, I mean, I guess that's it. Zazu kind of has to be the right hand on the throne and be the advisor. And in, in essence, he's still looking out for Simba. So he really can't leave him.
0: At this point, he's basically just a legacy character. Yeah. There's there's really no other way to put it. Um, but I love how this entire plan gets set up, right? Vitali and Noku, they set the fire.
1: Arson is diabolical.
0: But coming from Zira, it, it, it tracks it, it tracks. Also that Kiara is trapped. Not because they wish to kill her they know Kovu's going to rescue her.
1: That's the wild part to me, how detailed this entire plan is because you could kill Kiara and hurt Simba in that way, emotionally, but no, this is all just Simba
0: bait. Right, because you need, going back to the uh, the Robin Hood reference, you need a fox in the hen house. And <laughs> this is how... Zira knows to do it yeah. because she ultimately has all of this planted in Kovu's head, yet she knows—and what she's planted in Kovu's head is he needs to kill Simba. She knows he's never going to let Kiara die, so get him to rescue Kiara, have there be eyewitnesses, have him be accepted into the pride, and get him from the inside— It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant.
1: Right. Because, And I think that speaks to Zira's character, too, because I feel like she's going to think anything less would be a disappointment to Scar. Yeah. Just having Kiara trapped in a fire and having Simba come to save her and then trapping him... Because he, he sacrifices himself for her? No, it's not enough. We have to destroy everything that you built.
0: Yeah, from the inside out. Yeah. Um, and I love how Kovu, even when he's on this mission that has been beaten into his head for his entire life, he's still conflicted about it. Because we know he, we know he still has a good heart because he does not rescue Kiara as a part of the plan. He doesn't realize that that was a part of the plan.
1: Exactly. He All he knows is that he has to get Mufasa. This was just, and he doesn't even know who she is yet. He right. doesn't realize this is the same cub that he met. Right. He's just doing this purely out of the goodness of his heart. But what I really don't like is that has to be spelled out for Simba by Rafiki that Kovu saved her. And that's what changes Simba's tune. I wish that that Kovu had vocalized that for himself.
0: Well, remember, Rafiki's also making sure that he's playing an integral hand in playing out Mufasa's game plan because Mufasa has told him what the plan is. True. So he has to have a hand in it. And because Simba's hysterical, if there's any issue I have with Simba, it's that he's way too emotional this entire movie. He, he just comes off as being way too conflicted, almost as if he's not ready for this role. It's not as if Kiara is still a cub. There has been at least a few years that have passed. He should have settled into the role, and yet he still f- seems as if he does not know how to play the part yet.
1: I'm going to disagree with you. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you. He doesn't know how to play the part yet because that's the character. It has to be, right? I mean, think about it. Not only did he lose his father young, so he missed out on all of the years of training that he would have had under Mufasa, he was raised in the wild by a meerkat and a warthog. Right. So he's way out of his
0: debt. Fair enough. Um, Let's move on, though, to the first few days of Kovu being in this pride. What I wish was that Kovu had started
1: to question and or forget the plan before he was about to make that first attempt at Simba. I I wish that he just kind of realized on his own, like, wow, there is a whole nother side of life that I could potentially fit in here. And everything that he was trained to do was out the window. But... If that happens, it probably would have collapsed the story a little bit later on when he gets framed for everything.
0: Well, not only that, but mind you, you can't soften him that quickly. If anything, yeah. he needs to see that Simba is as bad as Kira, or as Zira, I should say, made him out to be. He mm. still needs to have an animosity towards Simba.
1: And a loyalty towards his pride.
0: Correct. Um, however, that all soon gets washed away piece by piece because you now have Kovu and Kiara. They do remember each other from that one interaction when they were kids, Mm -hmm. but they remember each other. And I love how Kiara thinks that she can fend for herself. And, and, and keeps putting it on Simba that she can't because she's not ever given the opportunity to because there's always somebody trailing her. And then you see that she's not quite as good as she thinks. She needs Kovu to show her how to fend. And the flip side is that she needs to show Kovu that the world is not as dark and dreary as he sees it. So ultimately, they need each other, and I think the balancing act is quite good.
1: Yeah, I love this whole little beat where Kiara once again is showing him how to let loose and have a little bit of fun, much like she did when they met when they were Cubs. But who better to also help him let the guard down than Timon and Pumbaa? I love this, uh, you know, bowling for buzzards thing that they call back to and you know Pumbaa's trying to clear the the birds out um but the reverse Uno when they run right into the rhinos is hilarious I I love this whole little section here
0: yeah it's lighthearted, it's fun and you need it because there's otherwise a very dark tone to the film because while all of this is happening you keep cutting back and forth to Zira who's kind of lurking in the shadows watching from a distance Vitaly as well is watching from a distance waiting for that moment that Kovu kills Simba, and they keep seeing that not only has his attempts failed, on the rare occasion that he even makes an attempt, by this point, he's just completely given up on it. Right. So you do need to have a little lightheartedness to it, because otherwise I think the movie does run the risk of becoming way too dark and dim.
1: Agreed. No, and to your point, not only is is he deciding that he's not going to carry out the mission? He's ready to confess. Yeah. He's about to tell Kiara when Simba's like, let me talk to him. Let me take him out. And Simba fully accepts him at this point.
0: And I love that moment between the Ugh, two of them. So good. Um, the the explanation of Scar, what Scar did not only to Mufasa, but what he did to the pride. Um, I love that they have that moment together and that it's at that point that Kovu... He's no longer second guessing. He he's just gonna out and out reject his original mission, right? Um, and I think that that's a really important part. And i I think that it was important that they interrupted so many times his would be confession. Yes. Um, with the doings of Zira, Vitali, and and, and whoever else be involved at this point, um. Then you get, like, this kiss-the-girl moment with Rafiki <laughs> yeah. that I didn't know that I needed. And I, I think maybe I did need it. I'm still a little conflicted on it. I, I, we'll talk about the song in a little while. But I almost feel like Rafiki, who in the past was, you know, sort of an oracle but kept a very hands-off approach... I feel like he's almost doing a little too much to push everything forward.
1: Yes and no, because... He received the message from Mufasa. He has to carry that out. And we've also seen... Simba at this point try and talk to his father but instead of getting wisdom from his father Nala comes up to him and sort of brings him back to reality and I I also really like that because you know we we talked about it before that Simba still needs to find his way without Mufasa's advice so now you've stripped that entirely but Mufasa's got a plan and and Simba has no clue about it um So I really like that he didn't get any sort of counsel from his father and instead his father did do it through someone else. So I don't know that we needed this moment for Kiara and Kovu because I think that they would have figured it out on their own and they certainly would have fell in love. But I think that you did need it for Rafiki. To be heavy handed about carrying out Mufasa's message because you have no communication between Mufasa and Simba. You have to keep Simba lost.
0: Right. So now we've got a fully bonded pair between Kovu and Kiara. He's ready. I'm finally going to confess, but he and Simba are together. I believe he and Simba are together when the Outlanders, the Outcasts, they launch their ambush. On Simba. And Kovu is trying to prevent this from happening. And you can't tell me that Simba did not hear or see exactly what was happening. That Kovu wasn't trying to end the ambush. That Kovu was then attacked independently to continue the ambush.
1: Kovu gets taken out right away. They throw him into a rock and he is
0: down. So... When Simba says, Kovu ambush, of course, Zazu takes that as, Kovu orchestrated an ambush. I was waiting for this really good, like, miscommunication, and that eventually Simba would vouch for him.
1: That Simba was looking out for him.
0: And, yeah, like, trying to say, like... Kovu got ambushed. no. Simba doesn't vouch for him. Simba casts him out again. Right. I think this was a miss. I I wish that Simba would have been incapacitated a little bit longer. Let that be the, the classic Disney miscommunication where the innocent party has been convicted as the guilty party, and it's not until somebody else comes around To clear the air and the I was wrong all along. I'm so sorry. Is it formulaic? Yes, but sometimes it works. In this case, it would have worked a lot better, I think, than how it actually did play out.
1: And that is closer to Romeo and Juliet if that is, in fact, what they were going for. The whole thing is a miscommunication and nobody realizes until they're both dead and it's way too late. Romeo and Juliet is terrible, by the way. I know that we learn it in school, and I know that we're comparing this, but I just want to put it out there. I'm not saying that that makes it good. Romeo's a simp. When he meets Juliet, he's still in love with another girl, and they're 13 for crying out loud. Anyway, I digress. We'll be here all day.
0: I've learned a lot today from you. I didn't know that you didn't care for Romeo and Juliet. Juliet.
1: I know it's supposed to be this amazing piece of literature, but it's not. I know it's supposed to be the greatest love story of all time. They were 13 with hormones.
0: Yeah, and they were middle-aged by 14. <laughs> People were dead at the from the plague by the age of 20. Let's move on from this.
1: Oh, speaking of the similarities to Romeo and Juliet, and this is when it dawned on me, uh, we we skipped over Nuka's death, which is so pathetic and sad, and I feel so bad for him because all he's trying to do is get his mother's attention, and that's his last desperate attempt to get it because he thinks he's going to be the one to take out Simba.
0: Yes, because. His jealousy over his younger brother just overtakes everything. And you're right. At that point, he doesn't even want to be the next in the throne. He just wants his mother to see, hey, look, I did good. He
1: wants a gold star.
0: That's all he wants. Crushed by timber.
1: It's pathetic. It's really sad. But what a what a way to take him out, too. And and the fact that we do get that one last glimpse where they find him and he gets the one last word in. Yeah. And oh,
0: they're not a, they are not afraid to really go for the kills in the Lion King.
1: Well, I mean
0: in this in this franchise.
1: Exactly, but how how could you show us in such detail what happens to Mufasa and Simba finding the lifeless body and then you're going to gloss over this one? No.
0: Yeah. Um let's talk about how Kovu is outcast And immediately, Kiara sneaks out the back of... The Pride Rock, because there's a back exit, apparently. There's a back exit in the den that she finds. Sure. And immediately goes out to find Kovu. Um, You would think that because... And I know that she's got a rocky relationship with Simba, but because she holds her father in such high regard, and again, things being a little bit more formulaic... You would think that Kovu would need to do everything he could to get back in her good graces. Oh no, 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 no. That's not at all what happens. Kiara is like never gives up on him. So she's a very interesting character. Yeah. Um she never gives up faith, never gives up on him as as a you know, person. He's not a person, but we're going to call him a person. Um never
1: gives up on his character.
0: Exactly. Um she is one of the more intriguing characters that we've seen and, and and in a in a time now this movie was made years ago but in a time now where disney cinema in general but disney more specifically as we've seen with the backlash that is snow white when you want every female lead to be a boss, this one was a bouse Yeah, Before the rest of them were. Yeah. And you did it in a way where it's not heavy handed. You just made a strong character with a good heart. And I don't think that Kiara gets the appreciation that she should. And the shame of it is they did it outstandingly well.
1: No, you're absolutely right. And this plays right into what we've been talking about is you have to keep Simba lost because his wheels are spinning and he knows he's got to take action, but he doesn't know what to do. He's not getting advice from his father. Rafiki is not helping him out. Um, So what better way? And I I think this goes back to playing into the title. This is Simba's pride. His pride and joy is now going to be the one to teach him the lesson. Yeah. So you had to give her this moment of being the one that chooses love and being the one that sees the good in someone, because this is probably other than the death of his father, the hardest lesson that Simba's ever going to learn. And he's not going to be, he does not have the tools to figure it out on his own. I'm only realizing that now too, that, I mean, yes, I talked about what great writing it was to have Kiara say, I'm not just a princess, you know, but really it goes back to their whole relationship that Simba is preaching to her what she needs to be because that's the only advice he ever got from his father. So this is what he thinks that he has to do. He doesn't know that this is a different child that comes with a different set of rules. And even though Nala says as much that she's just like him, he's not going to know to embrace her differences. He doesn't really know how to parent her because he never had his father around. So I really love that this transforms into a case of Simba having to learn from Kiara as opposed to her taking advice that he gave her and throwing it in his
0: face. Let's talk about how the film concludes here. Zira and the rest of the Pride have now... Zeroed in on Pride Rock because Kovu and Kiara, they've they're off declaring their love to each other, saying that they're going to bring unity. So they're not there yet. So they have now preyed on an injured Simba, and you have this war that erupts between the Pride Lands and the Outlands.
1: See, this is where the story sort of collapses for me. And I hate even saying that because it's been wonderful up until this point. But Without Nuka, Syrah has no pride because they need a male. So she sort of has to go along with whatever Kovu wants to do. And she knows that he's obviously in love with Kiara and he wants to be a part of Simba's pride. I mean, I know you need this like epic battle scene, but she kind of needed... She needed to go with them regardless. It was always going to end this way.
0: And I like how it ends because her death is very much accidental. Because now Kovu and Kiara have returned. They stand in front of their parents. So you have Kovu, in, you know, gets in the way of Zira. Kiara gets in the way of Simba. And they're basically trying to talk everybody off the ledge. Which is funny Because then Zira literally tackles Kiara and over the ledge they go. None of this is really meant to happen. It's not supposed to be a fight. But Zira just wants to take out somebody. There's the pound of flesh. She's going to take it out of somebody and then ends up accidentally falling into the river. Which, by the way, Mm. is some of the worst animation it looks like they took clip art of the Florida Panthers <laughs> original logo and just zoomed out of it. For, for a film that is so beautifully animated through and through, this is the only part where it looks really cheap.
1: And not just that, but Nuka's death didn't feel like a complete retread of Mufasa because they had the fallen timber. Sierra's death totally does. It, it's like a carbon copy of it. So what? why haven't we learned to stay away from gorges yet? I mean, I get it. Here's the only thing, though. You do have to take her out completely because otherwise, like I said, she has no choice. Once Kovu decides what his pride is, she has to go with the male and she is going to continue to be resistant to that. We see it where the line is drawn and every other lioness goes on Simba's side. She's the last one standing. She's still going to resist it. So the movie's never going to end if you don't just eliminate her. So I, I get why they did it. But I was like, is there maybe like a fresh way we could go about this? No. In a better animated way, to your point?
0: um, Are we ready to move on and talk about our cast? Or do you have anything else on the way that the film otherwise ends with everybody unified now no it just comes around full circle of life yes cast uh this cast has a lot of name talent in it we we kind of started alluding to that earlier starting with nev campbell as kiara what yeah um shocker of shockers nev campbell she was outstanding i've already told you how i feel about kiara nev campbell was awesome in this movie
1: I just love, I mean, you can hear it once you realize it is Nev Campbell. You can hear Sydney Prescott in the voice. Um, but I love just the choice that she made as an actress to do something like that when she is known as the scream queen. Right. Um, but I thought she handled it beautifully. I love the emotion that she gives her. Um, I love the fun and the spunk that she gives her. Um, I, I just love Kiara as a whole. This is just one of the best fully developed characters that Disney has
0: done. Jason Marsden as Kovu, Slay.
1: I mean, it's no secret. Montreal Radio absolutely loves Jason Marsden, um, but just knocked it out of the park in this role. I mean, you you again, you hear the voice. You know it. Obviously, you know, vastly different from Binks. But you can hear the Max Goof just being matured. Um, but a- again, a great job. And I-, I love the character of Kovu. I love that he is a good-hearted person, just fell in on the wrong side of the tracks, was was completely brainwashed. He's, he's like Bucky.
0: Yeah, very similar. Brainwashed by... Who I think is one of the most underappreciated villains Bingo. in the Disney canon. Zira voiced by Suzanne Plaschette. Unbelievable. Diabolical, pure concentrated evil. But I absolutely love the character. I love the performance.
1: I have no notes. I mean, for me, I've I've said it. Scar is my favorite. Villain. I love Be Prepared. I love the panache in in his character. Um, I love the pure evil. So I should be the most critical of how they follow that up, and I got nothing.
0: Andy Dick plays Nuka.
1: That was a surprise, casting Andy Dick in a Disney movie.
0: But he did a really good job with it.
1: And he's also, I feel like people forget how big he was in the late 90s. At the time. And early 2000s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, like, I get it for, for like, a secondary character, like, sort of what the hyenas were, although Whoopi Goldberg was a huge talent to get, as was Cheech Marin. But um, smart choice to get the comedian for the secondary character. It worked as well as the hyenas did.
0: Meredith Scott Lynn plays Vitani the other sibling of Nuka and Kovu, the sister. Um, I like her. She's a decent second set of eyes for Zira, and I like the fact that when we come full circle, even she sees through the brainwash and tries to talk Zira off the ledge that she inevitably falls from.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of new characters, but I feel like you needed her to balance out Nuka because... He was so, he had so much tunnel vision to please his mother. He was never going to be able to be her eyes and ears because, or execute any of her plans because he just tripped over himself constantly because he's trying so hard to please her. He doesn't realize that by just listening to her, it would accomplish that. It's always trying to one up and you know, just do these over-the-top gestures to get her attention. So you did need that balance of somebody who can actually execute Zira's plans.
0: And a little bit of interesting, I think this is noteworthy, uh, the Party of Five connection, because the uh, young lady that voiced a young uh, Vitali for like the one line she had as an adolescent. Testify! Yeah, Lacey Chabert. So you ah, have the okay. Party of Five connection. Lacey Chaver, as, as a lot of you know her, was either Mean Girls or now is the new queen of the Hallmark Channel.
1: And how dare you, sir, Eliza Thornberry. That is her voice acting claim to fame.
0: See, and I don't, it's, I, I, don't, but I didn't love the Wild Thornberries. Like, I liked it enough. I think Tim Curry. Oh, yeah. more than anybody else
1: that I mean that's why I loved it that's why I, that's why I watched I tuned in for Nigel Thornberry
0: uh let's talk about the soundtrack here as you said the soundtrack is a low-key banger starting with He Lives in You I said it before I, I thought the st- the start to the film was extraordinarily strong and while not Circle of Life feels like something that belongs in this universe
1: absolutely and I like that they repackaged it because we certainly get more lyrics than we ever did before um so I, I think it's a really good launch point and it it sets up that you know we've talked a lot about it Simba's character is that he has to he is still trying to figure out his life without Mufasa So we've seen him grow into that role. He has stepped into it, essentially, but there is just still so much to learn. So we know that he's looking within himself. We know that he's trying to remember the advice that his father gave him, but like now he's actually got to apply it. Um, So really smart way to set it all
0: up. We are one. This song, of all of the songs that we've heard this feels the most like The Lion King. like yes. Like, he lives in you, feels like it belongs. This feels like it's a part of it.
1: To me, this is like the new circle of life. Not necessarily in sound, but it's just a great duet. It's great for character development, but it lends to the overall message, which is what Circle of Life did. It, it was the setup for the film, but it gave us the theme and... That's what they do here. And I love that there's a callback to it later when Kovu says we are one. Yeah. I think that's the moment where everybody matures because they want that man to make that statement for them. They want the the good boyfriend that's going to defy everything, defy the parents and and put love
0: first. You're really trying to sell this. I'm. I'm not. I have
1: absolutely zero stake into it.
0: You got me fooled. But I'm. T-
1: <laughs> no, but I. I think that that's where it comes from. Is like that teenage crush of like what you hope your first boyfriend to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, my lullaby. It's the best song in the movie.
1: This is the banger. This. Well, it's one of them. It's one of them um absolutely should be on the top 100 list of disney songs um it's so catchy it's such an incredible sequence the way that they're playing with the light and the shadow in the animation it is just so beautifully done it's an incredible villain song written by Joss Whedon what i'm sorry what I'm still picking my jaw up off the floor from when I read that.
0: Mm-hmm. Appendi. You know, I said it before. I, I'm still conflicted on whether I needed this Kiss the Girl moment or not out of Rafiki. It's fun. The song is fun as hell. But it kind of feels like we're trying a little too hard. Like, it's not a bad song. It's It's a good song but I feel like this whole thing is just shoehorned in a little too aggressively.
1: It's so funny that you keep saying kiss the girl, because I feel like they're just trying to parallel. Can you feel the love tonight and give Kovu and Kiara that same moment. My biggest uh, note on this song though, and, and you may disagree with me more than anyone. To me, this sounds like a Jimmy Buffett song to me it reminds me of, you know, I, I mean, what Jimmy Buffett did so brilliantly was his rhyme schemes. And often he would take words in other languages and and incorporate them in songs. And it was always so well done. But to me, it, it just sounds like when they would do the Lionel Richie cover of All Night Long.
0: It has sort of that, Love and Luck meets One Particular Harbor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I can see that. I can see that. Um, One of Us is the next song.
1: This is the song for me. Absolutely top 100 list. It's a straight banger. And I love that we get all of the animals chiming in. Honestly, I was kind of like, where has this been for three films? Because it's not just the pride of lions that exists in this ecosystem. It's everyone. So I feel like it was too little too late for them to be chiming in. But at the same time, I don't care because I love this song so much from, from that first word, the way they deliver the word deception. I was like, Oh, okay. And this is where I was like, wow. Wow we were really late to the party on the Lion King sequels.
0: It's a quick song, but it's a good song. Um, I like it. I I honestly feel, though, because then you have Love Will Find a Way comes, like, literally almost right on top of it. Uh, It's a great ballad. To me, it almost makes one of us unnecessary because you basically end a song into another song.
1: There's not enough breathing room in between them, but if I had to pick between the two... um, It would be one of us, hands down. Um, But they did bring back Liz Calloway uh, for Love Will Find A Way, who we talked about uh, was the singing voice of Jasmine.
0: Final thoughts on The Lion King 2, Simba's pride. I'll go first this week. Um, I think some parts of the movie seem a little rushed. Um, it, it, It seems like we rush through certain things ...to get to an action, or we rush through certain things to get to a song, or in what we just discussed, we rush through a song to get to the next song. Um, but other than that, my conflict with it is that, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot pre-existing that we should know about, and yet we don't, so it all seems very new. I like seeing Simba in the Mufasa role, but at the same time, he he's almost way too emotional... Um, and not grounded quite enough. But... It's still a very good conclusion. It's a good movie. This is by no means is this a bad film. It's not bad at all. Um, It's a good conclusion to The Lion King. It's a good conclusion to this themed month that we've done. Um, And I, I think the thing I'm most excited about is that we only pulled one stinker out of the bunch. Now, I'm sure we're going to go and delve into more of these in the future. And I'm sure that there are some really horrific ones that we're going to find. But for our dip in the water... Just dipping the toe in, I'm glad that we only had one that was really a letdown.
1: Um, I'm going to disagree with you on the pacing. I think it was really well paced. I didn't feel it was rushed at all. And I think that that has to do with they were doing so much deep character work. Um, I, I didn't feel like we were slamming into action or slamming into song. So I think that that was really well done. Um, And I know that I've been very critical about where did this other pride come from? Um, I think this is one of those rare instances where I'm willing to look the other way because the rest of the film is just so incredible. I mean, does it go against Scar's character and what we learned in the Lion King, yes, but not in a way that completely unravels the original film. So I think that's why I'm willing to give this one a pass. Um a lesser film that didn't have a strong a story and didn't have such great music, um I think I would be a lot harsher on it right now for reaching for things and and sort of changing what we know about the original but to make this work and they did um yeah it gets a pass from me and I really really enjoyed it um I wish I had seen it sooner honestly and I- I'm totally gonna rewatch it I think it's great what we really do need to discuss though is which is the better sequel because this isn't a trilogy the way that Aladdin is, the way that one story sort of builds to the next. I think, you know, we kind of said this last week that like Lion King one and a half is going to live in a class all by itself because it's not a continuation of the story. Um, So looking at this as a continuation, I think it's great. I think it's a natural progression, especially for Simba's character. But does that make it the better sequel because it was so seamless of a transition
0: you're talking about is it the better sequel just in the lion king or are we talking about in the whole series of films that we've discussed
1: just in the lion king and and then and then yeah you know what we sh- we should we did a whole series on this we should sort of rank them
0: so to try and keep this brief um i think it's a very good sequel I don't enjoy it as much as Lion King One and a Half. Um, I think Lion King One and a Half is, for me, it's it's the better film. But that's just that's player preference, you know. It's it, it This is still a good movie. Um, in regards to ranking them overall, I put Lion King One and a Half at the top. I put Return of Jafar second.
1: Beauty and the Beast at the very that's, bottom. The,
0: the, yeah, I mean, that's a foregone conclusion. Where, this, where I really have to figure this out is, do I rank this above Aladdin and the King of Thieves? They're both very good. They're both very good. They're both sort of seamless transitions, I'll probably give it to this just because I think the passage of time is more defined than mm. it is in Aladdin. I think that kind of gives us, I think that puts it a step ahead. So I'm going to say Lion King one and a half, Return of Jafar, Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, Aladdin and the King of Thieves, Little Mermaid 2, uh, and then and then uh, Belle's Magical World at the very bottom of the list.
1: Um, For me, and we're just talking about Renaissance sequels yeah. that we focused on you know for this series um starting at the bottom beauty and the beast obviously little mermaid 2 um then king of thieves then this one and a half return of jafar so you're, is still at the top you're of my keeping list
0: return of jafar still at the top of the list
1: is it the better one No, but personal preference, because I grew up on it, I still love it.
0: We're interested in knowing what you have to say, not only about all of the sequels, but also about this one in particular. You can let us know on uh, X, Instagram, and Facebook at Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. When we were planning our first family trip to Disney World, uh, Jackie was the first person that we thought of.
1: Jackie helped us with every step of the planning, and she helped us pick the right hotel for our itinerary and our budget.
0: She also gave us uh, great recommendations when it came to scheduling our parks, our dining reservations, and the attractions.
1: These days, it feels like there's a lot that goes into planning a Disney trip, and there's a lot that we just didn't know about Disney World, and we're just so thankful for Jackie's advice in making it all a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, when we got to the property, we, we realized we wanted to add on another park day, so we texted Jackie early in the morning, and she got back to us right away and that really helped us make it happen.
1: We had some amazing meals and drinks. We went to Cinderella's Royal Table. We went to Oga's Cantina. We rode Rise of the Resistance without waiting on a long line. And on Jackie's recommendation, we saw the
0: Epcot fireworks from the Skyliner. This was in unforgettable family trip to Disney World and Jackie made it happen. Thank you, Jackie.
1: So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets or you can email me directly at monorealradio at gmail.com and you're going to want to do that because there are a lot of promotions that are out now And a new one for early 2024 travel.
0: I know a lot of people were very excited about the dining package coming back starting at the beginning of next year. But yeah, 30% off early 2024 travel as long as you book by December 15th, which I actually think is a very generous timeline. Because how often do you see these sales come up and it's like book in the next week? when they give you such an extended window out, because usually it's, Hey, if you book by the end of October, you'll get 30% off because they think that people are just going to shotgun Disney trips in three weeks. But the fact that they are giving you at the time of this recording over two months to book up until early next spring. I think that's a pretty generous promotion.
1: I think it's also very smart because a lot of people like grandparents will gift a Disney trip for the next year. Um, And that's not something that you're going to decide within 10 days of Christmas. You're going to know if you are gifting a Disney trip before. So I think that timeline uh, makes sense. But it's just really nice to see that promotion on top of a Florida Resi discount for early 2024 and a Disney Visa card holder uh, discount for early 2024.
0: Yes. And you may want to take advantage of that to book a trip and come down March 2nd and 3rd, House of Mouse Expo. We talked about it last year that we were attending it and that we had and that it would be worth taking a trip down if you are a Disney fan. Uh, For those who did not listen to our latest Dockside chat, we made the announcement that not only will we be there, but you can come and see us because we have a vendor table set up at House of Mouse Expo for the weekend, we are not selling you anything. If it's on the table, it is free to be taken just for coming to say hello. But Michelle has started to announce guests for the expo, starting with uh, Caitlin Rob Rock, who is the voice of Minnie Mouse, and we spent a lot of time talking about him today, and we spent quite a few minutes actually speaking with him and spending some time with him at the House of Mouse Expo last year. Jason Marsden coming back this year for House of Mouse Expo.
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of had a feeling that he was going to be there because it seems like he's a House of Mouse staple at this point because he does have such a great relationship with Michelle. Um, But I was really happy to see that they made it official, and the way that they announced it was really sweet because Jason... Hats off to him, uh, was staying at the boardwalk with his girlfriend, posted a video, which I actually put on our story. Uh, They were walking from boardwalk into Epcot. He announces that he's going to be at Epcot, which is like unheard of. (laughs) Yeah. If you're a celebrity that you're admitting where you're going to be. So he told everyone. Come see me. I'm here. I've got five prizes instead of like looking at me from a distance and going, is that? No, come say hi. I have something for you. Um, And then uh, I'm assuming that they had this plan. Michelle and her husband were in the park and they said that they were going to reveal someone else, but they did the video with him and he just sort of steps into the video and says that he's going to be here. So it was a really nice reveal. Um, and tickets are on sale. So we're going to see a lot more announcements about who the guest list is in the next couple of days and weeks, um, but you can buy tickets now. Yeah. And you can also book your hotel through me.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Disney Plus titles. There's been a lot of discussion since May about titles disappearing, and we had said that we would not be surprised if Titles popped up on other services so that Disney could recoup some of the money on some of these titles. Well, it looks as if, what is the two, four, six, seven titles have been added to both Amazon and Vudu for rental or purchase. These were Disney Plus originals, you know, the ones that were never supposed to be uh, removed. Uh, Crater, Better Nate Than Ever. Flora and Ulysses, The One and Only Ivan, Rosaline, Cheaper by the Dozen, and Timmy Failure Mistakes Were Made, all are now available for rent or purchase. They haven't said what's happening with the other titles, they haven't said what's happening with some of the series that have been pulled down, Um, whether they will be available for rent or purchase, or whether they're going to be licensed out for other streaming services to make money back. Um... But this basically is what we knew was going to happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like absolutely none of this. And, you know, the the blatant disregard for their subscribers by, you know, taking it away from what we are paying for. We've said that, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but here we are. They're doing it. Uh, but you'll notice the common. Thread with all of those titles that you just announced. Those are very much family-friendly films. You know, they're not giving away the bigger cash cows like the Marvels, like the, for better or worse, live-action remakes. You know, they're doing the ones that people probably sat down to watch on a Friday night that don't have a lot of rewatchability. And, you know, they're just putting them out there to a different audience.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that this does not become habitual. Because there are movies on there that I like to just pop on when I want to pop on a movie, you know? It's like Halloween time... I don't like Hocus Pocus, but I like the second movie. Like, I watch Hocus Pocus every year. That's right. It is.
1: It's almost October. It's time to do your yearly viewing of
0: Hocus Pocus. But I like the fact that I can just pop it on. Christmas time. I watch Noel. I love Noel. I think it's so much fun. Oh, yeah. You know, like, this was part of the incentive of being a day one subscriber. I mean, being a subscriber in general. But, you know, I just hope that they don't make this habitual. Well,
1: I I think that for the next few weeks especially, we're going to see a lot more changes because we did finally just get the news that at least the writer's strike uh, is seemingly at an end right now where the AMPTP was able to negotiate a deal for the next three years, so they're just dotting I's and crossing T's now Thank the Lord. Um, So SAG, uh, I think they still have a long way to go because they had a lot more to lose as far as the AI goes than the writers did. Um, So I don't think that anything's going to change there anytime soon, but I think that because now studios are going to be able to start buying scripts again and developing new content, um, it's going to shake things up all over again. So I'm not, reading into any of this too much just yet.
0: We are interested in hearing your feedback on this latest bit of Disney news. You can let us know on X, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. I just gave you that social media. Don't forget we are on Threads and TikTok as well at Monoreal Radio. Please like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. We are on all of them. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorealradio.com. Next week, we transition into some spooky stuff. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.